If not, I invite you to turn with me to the 13th chapter of the book of John. John chapter 13. So this is John's Gospel, and we're going to be reading here near to the end of the ministry of Jesus. He's not too far away now from His crucifixion. And He is with His disciples. And there's a very special and significant event that we mark here in this 13th chapter of the book of John. And uh, so if you found the text, read with me. We're going to read verses 1 uh, down through uh, verse 20 uh, here in the book of John, the 13th chapter. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, he'd had the last supper there with his disciples. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, You are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have, excuse me, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. And we'll stop there, verses 1-20 through of the 13th chapter of the book of John. Now, this passage of Scripture is one that I think is known fairly well, where we see Jesus in this, in His humility and in His lowliness washing His disciples' feet. Supper is ended and He has risen from supper. And, and I want you to, to think about what this must have been like for the disciples. They have spent all this time with Jesus. They have left behind their lives, their families, their careers, their, their jobs. And they have devoted themselves to follow after the Lord. 
And in following after Him now, they have seen Him rise up. They have seen Him lay aside His garments and He takes a towel and He fills a basin with water. And now He begins to come to them. And as a lowly servant in a house would do, He begins to wash their feet. This is their Master. This is their Lord, the one whom they have left all to follow, yet now He is the one who is washing His servants' feet. And He's washing their feet. And I can just imagine the the, the feelings, the thoughts that they're having and seeing their Lord in His humility washing after their feet. And they know this practice. It's a known custom to them that one would wash the feet of a guest or of some visitor that had a particular honor and the servant would come and wash their feet and say that they knew what was happening. And I could see most of them were just left speechless about what they were witnessing. Except for Peter. He was never speechless, I guess. Always seemed like he had something to say. And so Jesus gets to Peter and he begins to wash his feet. And and Peter's just not understanding. He says, Jesus, are you really washing my feet? He's saying, you are are my Lord and my Master, yet you're washing my feet. And Jesus responds and tells him, he says, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but you will know hereafter. And so Peter's trying to make sense of this and he says that that you would never wash my feet. This is beneath you, Jesus. You are my Lord. You are my Master. Why are you washing my feet? Jesus answered him and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no heart with me. Peter hears this and he senses, well, this must be right and this must be good that this should happen. But, But if he's going to have his feet washed, he says, well, then also wash my hands and my head. Peter is saying, well, well, listen, if you're going to wash just my feet, it wouldn't be good if you wash my hands and my head too. Peter's trying to reconcile all of this in his mind as he was wont to do and, and think a little, uh, talk a little faster than he thought sometimes. But then Jesus says to him, he is washed and he is not saved to, he that is clean, he that is washed, and he is not saved to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Then he says this, he says, you are clean, but not all. What he meant by that is he said, you are clean, you're my disciples, you're, you're clean, you've, you've been washed, you're, you're following me, they're saved. Except for one. It says, you are washed, but not all. He knew that among him, among them that night, was the one that would betray him. And Judas, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. And so he finishes up. Jesus finishes washing his disciples' feet. And after he washes their feet, he takes his garments back up and he sits down again. And now he asks his disciples, and he says, do you know what I have done to you? He says, you call me master, you call me rabbi, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you say well to call me those things and and recognizing that I am indeed your Lord and, and your master. And he says, if I then am your Lord and master and I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus says, I have demonstrated for you as an example that which you ought to do in serving one another. In humility, abasing yourself to serve others. That brothers and sisters should serve one another. That there would be no class system amongst the family of God where there would be some above others. That they would not humble themselves to service to those that we are around, to those that we come in contact with, to those we fellowship with, those that we worship with. 
Jesus said, I am your Lord and your Master, yet I have demonstrated to you in my humility and washing your feet, this do as I have done unto you. And I'll just say quickly that that word there, as, it's doing a lot of work. This is not an ordinance for the church to follow, but it is an example for us that we with lowliness, humility, and meekness would serve one another. And he goes on, he says, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than him, excuse me, greater than he that sent him. Then in verse 17 he says this, If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And I want to spend some time in this verse this morning. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I want you to think just for a few minutes this morning about what makes you happy. There are things in life that make all of us happy. There are people in life that make us happy. There are certain things that we like to do, our hobbies, the things that we enjoy. There are foods that we prefer that make us happy. There are things that we engage with. We learn this behavior from the time that we are children. My children know now, even my two-and-a-half-year-old Ellie, she knows the things that bring her joy and make her happy. And we learn those things. We say, if that makes me happy, I want more of that, right? We say, there's no such thing as too much of a, as a, too much of a good thing. We want more of what makes us happy. Some of you are are football fans like I am. You might remember Lou Holtz. He was a coach of uh, Notre Dame uh, back when. And and he always had this famous line that he was known for in his recruiting process, I believe it was. And he would say, if you want to be happy for an hour, eat a steak. If you want to be happy for a day, go play golf. If you want to be happy for a week, go on a cruise. If you want to be happy for a year, hit the lottery. But then he would close it and he would say, if you want to be happy for a lifetime, play football for the University of Notre Dame. That was kind of his famous closing pitch that he would give in his recruiting. And I understand what Lou Holtz was doing there jokingly, but he was missing the mark concerning happiness. And we have a tendency to do the same thing in how we think about happiness. Now, I want you to know something here about this verse and and what Jesus is saying when He's talking about being happy and following after the example of Jesus. When He's talking about being happy according to the instruction and the example that Jesus has provided, He's using the exact same word that we see Him using and when He gave the Sermon on the Mount and the opening verses on the Sermon on the Mount when we see the Beatitudes. Here are all those verses back in the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew that begin with blessed. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. And we read through those. And and what Jesus is describing is those that are happy. It's the same Greek word. But I want you to see something about the idea of being blessed. Now, you and I, we think about our blessings and thanksgivings coming up. And if you're like me, you just begin to have a heart of gratitude concerning all that you've been able to, to see in the world and, and see accomplished by the hand of the Lord. And, and it gives us a great feeling of blessing. And when you think about those blessings of life, we have a tendency to want to enumerate them according to material things or according to things that we can tangibly see and touch. But the blessings that we are talking about ultimately are those things that we see impacting happiness. And our happiness 
is not rooted in things that are material and tangentially touched, but instead our happiness is rooted in following after the instruction of the Lord. That is the, the practice that we're seeing Jesus instituting here with the disciples. And I want you to, I'm kind of getting mixed up here in terms of the order that I plan to go on, but just follow me here for a minute. I want you to see something about the idea of being blessed. Yes, we see it translated in some places in blessed and other places happy. And it's well translated to do so. But I want you to know that to have an idea of being blessed, it means more than just how we think about being happy. If I ask if you are happy, you might look and you might consider, well, yeah, I'm in a pretty good mood today. I guess you could say I'm happy. But when we talk about being blessed, it rises above what we would typically think about being happy. We sing happy birthday. We celebrate things and being able to, to wish somebody a happy Thanksgiving. We see things as being cheerful and we say that that must have some good idea of what it is to bring warm feelings to us that we describe as happy. But what the Lord is describing as blessed, it is not just some warm feeling that comes over us from time to time that we would partake in and say, well, that makes us cheerful and that being cheerful or in a good mood must mean that we are happy. But instead, it is rooting us to the things that are the pure source of happiness and joy in our lives. Those things that transcend moments of happiness and instead they become a happiness that is able to continue no matter our circumstances and no matter our situations. I want you to think about yourself in comparison to to those that you might know or those that you would see that maybe they're homeless, they have very little. We would look to them and say, you know, I'm just so thankful for my blessings because I see these that have so little. And I want you to know you should be very careful when you say that. Because that person that you would say, I have had so many blessings and I see this one who is, is without and I'm so thankful for the blessings because I'm not deserving of them and, and I know your heart when you say those things. That homeless person might be the most blessed person you'd ever meet. Because our happiness, our blessings, to be blessed is not rooted in the elements of this world. As we tried to preach and look at last week, they are rooted in the things that are eternal. As Christians, we must be careful to get our happy right. To get our happy right. I want to look at that just for a minute. Because if you're placing your happiness or depending your happiness upon anything else but the Lord, you are eventually going to end up disappointed. I want to look at three factors of that. And young people, I especially want you to listen to me this morning. I first want to consider happiness in the future. If you're like me, when I was about 18, 19, 20 years old, I can remember vividly a moment in my life where I was sitting in the backyard of a friend's house and we were kind of finishing up high school then, finishing up the year, and we were kind of talking. I was looking out behind my friend's house and we are sitting there talking about the future. And man, I want you to know I had it all planned out. I mean, everything that I thought of how my life would go, I had it just down to a T. And I want you to know I couldn't have been more wrong. 
You see, when we think about our futures, we have a tendency to try to express our futures according to the temporary, the earthly things that we want to try to accomplish. Careers and, and hobbies and enjoyments and, and things concerning where we might go to school at or concerning what careers we might have or what we might accomplish in our careers or what houses we might own or, or where we might live and where we might travel to. And we think about all these things that we want to accomplish in the future. And we say that if we just have this idea of what these goals are and our plans are, that we will be happy when we accomplish them. And I want you to know that you're right. You will find fleeting moments of happiness in accomplishing those things. But I also want you to understand that when we talk about what our plans are in life, is that what God has planned for us, He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what is ahead of us. And we surrender our will to His and allow Him to bring about our futures rather than us trying to tell Him about what we want our futures to be. What we will come to know is that our happiness doesn't become fleeting moments, but what it becomes instead is a secured and consistent and constant happiness that's not found because we find pleasures in the temporary things, but instead because we find joy knowing that we have been settled in things that are eternal. Where's your happy at? If your happy is just settled in the things that, that are temporary, the things that you want to, to plan for yourself for your future, you'll be left disappointed. Brother Jeff, last week in Sunday school, he joked that he was on the 12-year plan in college. And uh, he went to college for 12 years before he graduated. I was on the five-year plan. took me five years before I graduated. Changed majors a couple times during that period of time. When I first graduated high school, I wasn't sure where I was going to go to college. I think I've told the church before about a, a, a momentous conversation I had up at John Elliott's house, him and, and his friend that was there at the time. We were talking about I was getting ready to make the decision of where I was going to go to school at, whether I was going to go to Purdue or whether I was going to stay in town. And, and his friend was telling me, no, you really ought to go to Purdue and, and go out and, and enjoy that time and figure all those things out in life and you know all these things that you hear a lot of society tell us about making those types of decisions. And John just simply looked at me and he said, you need to stay close to church. And the Lord used that conversation and it impacted me and it impacted my future. I've had situations and scenarios in my life where there were moments where I could have chosen to go a different direction. And I want you to know that those small choices, those things that in the moment might seem like they're not very consequential, I look back on them now and I know that if I had made a different choice, my life would be starkly different than where it is now. Brother Richard came up to me a couple of weeks ago and I appreciate what the church did in the jar with the, the things of what they appreciate about me and Pastor Appreciation Month last month. And uh, Brother Richard came up to me and he said, you know, they've been after me to try to write out one of those cards. And he says, that I don't know quite what I would write because all I know is that I'm different now because of you. And it struck me, and of course it humbled me for him to say that, but what he was actually conveying, he was saying that before we started coming here, before Kim and Richard started coming to Faith Church, he said, my life was going on a different course. He said, there was different things that I was looking for in life. And he said, but now my life is different because of that. It had nothing to do with me. 
It had everything to do with the Lord. Richard was just trying to express it in the terms that he could. But what he was sharing with me in that moment, he said that my life is different because of the Lord. If you've been saved by God's grace, your life is different because of the Lord. But I want you to know the Lord still gives to us that free agency to make those decisions that impact our lives. Whether or not we are going to choose to serve the Lord or whether or not we're going to choose to serve after the things of the world. Isn't that what we see in Scriptures? Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. There's a saying that goes around sometimes where people say, I choose happy. I choose to be happy. I think that's kind of a funny statement. You're choosing to be happy. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're choosing to be happy. But what you're actually saying is I'm choosing the things that make me happy. That's that The saying is, is bigger than just the two words that's being boiled down to. You're choosing the things that make you happy. Well, temporary things have a temporary effect in how they make us happy. Things that are lasting, things that are eternal, they have a far greater impact. I'm a little older now than I used to be. Can't do the things that I used to do in the same ways that I used to do them. I used to be able to wake up and I could go do whatever I wanted, not worrying about what I ate or what I hadn't ate or what I was going to eat next. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine invited me over to his house and we were going to, to do some, some uh, mixed martial arts things. And uh, I was at his house and I didn't eat that morning. And I want you to know by the time I left, I was sick. I, I was about ready to pass out. Why? Because while I chose to do the things that made me happy, it left me dissatisfied at the end of the day. Why? Because I had chosen happiness on my own terms, right? And that's what we have this tendency to do. We're going to talk more about that in just a second because I need to get off the future. I want to talk about, young people continue to listen to me, I want to talk to you about finding happiness with your friends. Finding happiness with your friends. Some of you have your friends here. You're like, Derek, are you really going to talk about this right now? I am. But finding happiness with your friends. I want you to know I have been blessed with some of the best friends that I think anybody could ever meet. There are people that I have had in my life that have made profound impacts on me and the Lord continues to bring people into my life that I count as friends that have an impact on me. But there have also been times in my life where I have met friends that the impact that they were having on me was not good. When we have this tendency, and the first psalm, the first psalm talks about this, that we have this tendency that, that we see things that are sinful, we see those things that, are, that, that have sin in them, and we know as Christians that those are things that, that we should avoid, and those things that we should separate our lives from. But I want you to know where sin normally comes about, it comes about from taking counsel with the ungodly. When you surround yourself with ungodly people, when you surround yourselves with those things that are ungodly, they are going to pull you into sin. You hear me? The Scripture tells us that we should be careful concerning who we surround ourselves with. Knowing that bad company corrupts good morals. 
Knowing that who you are around is going to impact your happiness. I had friends that I used to run around with and they would, we'd have a good time together, but they were fleeting moments of happiness. And before long, some of them started getting in trouble and the Lord woke me up to that and He said, Derek, if you don't separate yourself from these people, you're going to have the same end. One of the friends that I spent a lot of time in high school with, he this morning is sitting in a jail cell and he'll be there for a while because of the decisions that he made in life that he thought he was making moments of, of or de- de- deciding on moments of temporary happiness. And now he's spending nearly a lifetime behind bars for it. I want you to have good friends. I want you to have friends that bring you joy and happiness. But I want you to be careful about who you surround yourself with. Let me say this just to make everybody uncomfortable. Scripture teaches us that when we're considering who it is that we're going to spend the rest of our lives with, who you're going to select as your companion, as your husband, or as your wife, that we should be careful about those things and that when you're making those considerations that you should only date somebody if you can see yourself marrying them. If you can... I saw some people exchange looks. (laughs) If you can't, I want you to know you're wasting your time. The Lord is concerned with your happiness. And when you surround yourself with those things that are going to lead you into those things that will cause you maybe moments of happiness, but otherwise despair, you would do better to separate yourself. I know it's a hard thing to do. I've been there. But trust me when I tell you that you will do far better to find a godly spouse and to depend on the Lord to find that spouse than you will to find yourself caught up in moments of happiness with friends that you think at this moment are the end-all and be-all in your life. I remember being 18, 19, 20 years old and and, and my my friend group was it. That was the world to me. As I've gotten older, that friend group has gotten tighter, but they have gotten far more impactful and close in my life. And I thank God for that. Young people, I want you to have all sorts of happy experiences with your friends. I do. But I want you to find your happiness is not fixed on those moments of happiness that you find with ungodly people, but instead that they are fixed on those things that you find in godly relationships with your friends. Young people, if you heed that advice, I promise you will do well. Finally, I want to look to happiness with your family. If we weren't all uncomfortable enough yet, let's go ahead and really get uncomfortable. Several years ago, I preached a series of sermons uh, from the book of Genesis. and We looked at Joseph and his brothers, and uh, they were just a mess. Their family. And my family kind of got a little bit upset with me during that time because they kept hearing me say that my family was about the same way. We were a mess too. And they started to get offended at me saying my family was a mess. But I want you to know that every family I've ever been around, they're a mess. 
My in-laws aren't here to defend themselves, but they're a mess. We all are, right? We, we all have those things where we are just left to shake our heads. And if you're thinking my family isn't a mess, I want you to know the rest of your family thinks you're the mess. But when we are looking for our source of happiness to be in our families, what we are doing is we are rooting our happiness to be dependent upon, yes, those, those that we are closest to and those that we love the most, but we are still rooting our happiness on people that do not have the righteousness and perfection of the Lord. We are rooting our happiness in imperfect people. Yes, they are your families. Yes, they are a source of love and joy. And God has given us the family as a great blessing to us. But I want you to know, your family's happiness, it will find itself dissolved and you will find contention if your family is looking only inwardly as the source of their happiness. If instead your family is looking to the Lord as your source of happiness, you will find that there is peace and that there is love and that there is joy found in that family. Do you hear me? There are some families that, man, I look at them and I thought, man, can you imagine being a part of that family? Can you imagine what it must be like to be in their home at night when they come together and pray? Or can you imagine what it might be like to be at the dinner table with them and you see the things that make them close and you recognize that their closeness is not rooted in their common interest or their common name or their common blood, but it's rooted in Christ. And that is the difference. What I am trying to preach to you today is that our happiness should be rooted not in each other, not in our futures, not in ourselves, not in our friends, not in our families, but it should be rooted in Christ. Jesus said, if you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. We have a world that is looking for happiness. And Jesus says, here's how you can find it. In this specific passage, he says to serve one another. Now, I want you to know something. I, I really got to hurry. But I want you to know something. He goes on. He starts talking about Judas again. In verse 18, he says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. He says, I have spoken well and I have done well in demonstrating to you this humility and service to one another. And I have spoken well that if you do these things, you will be blessed and you will be happy. He said, but I want you to know there is one that is among us that will not. There is one who will betray Him. Turn with me to the book of James. First chapter, and I'll try to close. I just want to read a few verses here from the book of James. <clears throat> James chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 19 through 27. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive, listen to this, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. 
For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That is, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and he goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. Listen to verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. James is encouraging us and he is exhorting us and he is saying that when we would find the Word, that we would find it engrafted, engrafted upon us, implanted upon us, that we would receive it with meekness, laying apart all filthiness and all of those excesses that we would find ourselves to, to, to partake in of wickedness. And instead that we would receive with meekness that engrafted Word that is able to save your souls. And he goes on further, and he says not only receiving the engrafted Word, and that we would hear it, but that we would obey it. that we would do it. And he says, for if one hears the Word and isn't a doer, he's like a man that looks in a mirror. And he looks in the mirror and he sees himself and he goes his way and he forgets what he looks like. He says, but whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, not being a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed. This man shall be happy in his deed. Brother Jeremy, I'd like to get, like you to get the song Trust and Obey ready, if you don't mind. In this song Trust and Obey, it says this word, these words. It says, Trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That is a scriptural-based song. If you want happiness in your life, if you want happiness in Christ, trust and obey His Word. Trust and obey His example. Do the things that reflect righteousness. Do the things that are becoming of life and avoid and rid yourself, separate yourself, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That is a lot of King James language there, isn't it? Superfluity of naughtiness. What he's talking about is the abundance of wickedness that we find ourselves bogged down with. He says, lay it aside. Do away with it. Flee from it. As Paul told the Colossians, kill it. Mortify it. Put it to death. And instead, having received with meekness the engrafted Word that is able to save your souls, be ye doers of the Word. Be obedient unto the instruction, example, and command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do these things, if you look into the perfect law of liberty, not being a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, you'll be happy. You'll be happy. I want to close. I want to tell you about the happiest people I've ever met. I didn't meet them in Disney World. I didn't meet them at a ball game. I didn't meet them as because they were young loves that were had that puppy dog love of emotion that you see. They were old. They had lived in the same house for 40-something years. 
I've raised three children, one of whom took their own life. Circumstance so tragic that you and I think about it, you say, How can anybody ever be happy again? But their happiness, it wasn't rooted in temporary things. They knew that they would see their child again. And so they just kept on serving the one in whom their happiness was rooted. His word had been engrafted and planted upon their heart. And they saw their source of happiness not in the temporary things. Yes, they could have went and got bigger houses. They could have went and done all sorts of things. They didn't travel much. They weren't concerned a lot with worldly possessions. Their happiness was rooted in the Lord. Some years later, that man would pass away. and His wife would live on for another 20 years. During that time, she would lose another child. Every reason to be distraught. Oh, but her happiness, yes, she loved her family. They were a joy to her, but her happiness wasn't based in her family. Her friends got old around her and they would pass away, but her happiness wasn't based and rooted in her friends. In fact, this dear woman that I'm talking about, she would be at funerals and she'd be shouting glory to the Lord with a heart filled with happiness because she knew her loved ones who passed on that they had an assurance and a testimony of salvation that she would see them again. About a month before her husband would pass away, they went to a friend of theirs house. They had a video camera out. And they were recording these two happy people. And they were singing songs of the Lord. And there was joy on their face and joy in their hearts as they uplifted their voices to the Lord. Some of you have figured out who I'm talking about. I am talking about my grandparents, Lewis and Delpha Holland. They were the two happiest people I've ever met in my life. And I want you to know their happiness. Oh, they loved each other, but man, they'd get on each other's nerves sometimes. Man, my grandfather, he'd come in from working out in his garden, he'd take off his socks, and he'd look at me, and he'd say, watch this, Derek. And he'd throw them in the middle of their living room floor because he knew my grandmother was going to walk in and say, Lewis! In that southern way that she would do. They'd pick on each other. They loved each other. They were happy together. But their happiness, it was rooted in the Lord. And my friends, I want you to know today, especially young people, the world is going to offer to you all sorts of things with a promise of happiness on them. The world will lie to you. But you will find happiness for a lifetime. No matter what circumstances. No matter what tragedies. No matter what scenarios you find yourself in, you will find happiness for a lifetime when your happiness, it's based in the Lord and it's based in your obedience to the instruction of the Lord. I want to encourage you to get your happy right. Get your happy right.
if you're looking for happiness anywhere else. I want you to know you're going to find it. I'm not foolish enough to stand up here and tell you you're not going to find it anywhere else. You're going to find it. But what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to keep going further and further with that happiness to be contented by it. But you will taste of the Lord's goodness and you will find a happiness that delights your life for all eternity. Let me say this. My line of work that, that, that I'm employed by, employed in, one of the things that I, I work with my, my clients on is how they can delight their customers. It's a big buzzword in the business community about delighting customers. You know what the Lord says about delight? He says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Where's your delight? Where's your happy? Let me, let me close with this. That first psalm that I referenced earlier, it goes on and he says, to delight yourself in the Word of God. How many of you today can look me in the eye and say that the Word of the Lord is your delight? That you're delighting yourself in the Word of God. If you want to find happiness, you will find it in this book. You will find it in the instruction and commandment and example of the Lord. You will find it and know of it in your life through the obedience of it. And it will make you happy, not just for a lifetime, but for all of eternity. Brother Jeremy, if we can get that song. I want to encourage you today. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I want you to know you will first taste of happiness by coming to know the Lord Jesus. You will first taste of happiness by being saved. By finding salvation. In fact, I would guarantee you that if you were to take a survey of this room, what was the greatest day of your life? It won't be if you asked the saved, if it wouldn't be the day that they got married or even the day their children was born. If instead you were to ask them, what is the greatest day of your life? You will say, they would say the day that the Lord spoke peace to my soul. Thanksgiving Day 1995 was the greatest day of my life. I want you to know I have had wonderful experiences. Seeing my wife walk down the aisle brought a tear to my eye. There was a picture hanging up in my office at home the first time that I got to hold my son's hand and there's a tear running down my face in that moment because of the joy and the gladness that was in my heart. But none of it, none of it compares to the joy that is found when you find peace with God. So I want to encourage you today, if you are here and you are lost, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing. Trust and obey.